rise of suns. Everybody say the rise of suns. Man, what in the world does that mean? I can tell you that in the world we live in today, there is a very real attack on who the sons of God... When I say sons, I'm talking about sons and daughters, okay? So if you're a female in here and you're saying, well, he keeps saying sons, I'm talking about you too. I'm talking sons scripturally is a reference to those who are hearing and obeying the voice of God. So whether you're male or female this morning, I want you to know that you are a son or you are a daughter of God. I'll try to insert daughter just for clarification's sake, but I can tell you, even when I don't, it's a reference to all the men and all the women who yield themselves in its entirety to the Father. Somebody say amen. 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 That's what we want, right? At the end of the day, I want to be a man, or if you're a woman, you want to be a woman, I hope, that in every way, your heart and soul is to honor the Father. Now the truth is, perhaps the truth is, I won't make a statement for you, but I'll make it for me. The truth is, I haven't always done that well. I've come up short a time or two. Has anyone else ever come up short in here? You've come up short. Every, you did everything you wanted to do, right, Curleen? We did everything we wanted to do, right, Dan? Is it Dan right here on the front? Sir, is it Dan? Gary? Gary? How'd I get Dan? Are you sure? Are you sure your name's Gary? <laughs> right, Gary? Don't you want to honor the Father? Rising up and lying down, right? Rising up and lying I caught you because you were downloading the app, I'm sure. Yes, thank you. Go ahead, continue. But I'm sure, I'm certain of this. When we come to know Him, when we're walking out our relationship with Him, what we want from the Father is for Him to say about us every night, what you hear me say all the time in this house when I'm preaching, what we want to hear Him say about us is, This is my son. This is my daughter. And in them I am so pleased. I love their choices. I love the decisions they make. I love the way they live their life. And more than that, I love how in their living they honor me. I love how in their good days they give me praise. And in their bad days they give me praise. On their good days they worship me. And on the days that aren't as good they still worship me. On the days when they understand what I love about them, I'm pleased with them because when they don't understand and it doesn't make sense what's going on in their world, they love me. When it does make sense, they love me. So our heart and soul is rising up, lying down. When we enter into our moments, whatever those moments are, easy moments, hard moments, challenging moments, uncertain moments, when we enter into those moments, our heart and soul should be, Father, I want to honor you. I want to be counted not as an orphan, not as an outcast, not as a slave, not as in bondage, but I want to be counted as a free son or daughter, liberated into the goodness and glory of Almighty God. Can somebody say amen? Amen. So as we continue this series, The Rise of Sons, this is what we're jumping into. This is what we've been discussing, is, is talking about how do we rise up again to that position and place that was accounted to us so long ago. In fact, before you were even a twinkle in your mom and daddy's eye, before you even breathed your first breath, you had purpose. Do you believe that this morning? When you were still nothing but a part of God in the expanse of all creation, 
You had purpose. You had purpose. And then there came a moment in time when the father said, okay, today's your day. I'm going to bring you out of this expanse of creation where you have dwelt with me solely. And I'm going to send you into the earth to a man and a woman. I'm going to breathe breath into your nostrils. I'm going to give you what's called natural life. You've had eternal life. Now I'm also going to join with that natural life. I'm going to breathe into you, and when I breathe into you, I'm going to fill you with purpose, and that purpose will always be in its genesis, in its beginning. That purpose will always be to honor me, to redeem the earth unto me, to bring again the earth back into subjection to me. The Father says, I depend on you. I'm counting on you, men. I'm counting on you, women, who say that you've received my Son. Counting on you, men, and you, women, who believe that Jesus didn't just die and become a memory, but He died, He rose. And He did that so that you and I could be reconciled back to His Father to again find our place in ruling and reigning over all the earth, rising up as sons and daughters and redeeming that that the enemy has stolen. Do you believe you have purpose this morning? This is the rise of sons. It's remembering, being reminded again, why do I live? You do not live, you do not exist to be a doctor. You do not exist to be an attorney. You do not exist to be a teacher. You do not exist to be a contractor, construction worker, administrator, secretary, housewife, husband, whatever it is. You do not exist for that purpose. The reason you exist is to redeem the whole world back to the Father. Now in that course of redeeming it, in that course of lining up with Him, you become... And you receive and He gives you gifts or tools that enable you to do that in such a way that it makes sense to the world. He allows you to be a doctor. And He allows you to be an attorney. And He allows you to be a teacher. He allows you to be a housewife or husband or working wife or whatever, whatever you want to call it. I'm not trying to get all into that right now. What I'm trying to get into is whatever you are that is secondary, secondary to the primary. And the primary is, I'm His son. First and foremost, I'm His son. How many sons and daughters are there in this house this morning? Lift your hand up. Sons and daughters. How many aren't sure? Don't raise your hand. But I just wonder, how many in this room you aren't sure? I don't know if I'm a son or a daughter. I'm, I'm Pentecostal. I'm Baptist. I'm Presbyterian. I'm Methodist. I'm Muslim, I'm atheist, I'm whatever you want to fill in the blank with, I'm this or I'm that, I don't know about the whole son or daughter thing, I'm going to tell you something, this is the coolest thing, before you were any of those things that you put in your mouth, you were a son and a daughter. It isn't a matter of becoming what you've never been, it's a matter of coming back to what you've always been intended to be. It isn't a matter of finding something I've never known. It's a matter of entering back into again that that I was created to be. 
Can somebody say amen? amen? So, let me ask you a question as we begin this morning. If you're following along in the notes, I don't know if this is in there or not, but I'm going to ask you this question. Why does Scripture place emphasis on legacy both backward and forward? In other words, why is it that legacy in Scripture is important behind us and important before us? Let me define what I'm talking about. So when you go through Scripture, and those of you that are reading the Bible through in a year with us as a, as a part of the congregation, if you're not doing that, I encourage you to do that. Again, that's on the app. Just click on Bible, and it'll take you where you need to be. But we read it through every year. I encourage you to join us. But you'll find, especially now, we're about to get into, we're about to get into all the little son of, son of, son of, son of. And I mean, by the time you finish with some of these chapters, you're going to have so many names you won't remember the first one. Because this one was the son of that one, who 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 was the son of this one was great, and then who was the son of that one that wasn't so great. That's what was prior. That was what became before them. Legacy is important. He identified that. And I love, I received a letter, I'm going to refer to some of what he said from Peter Renault uh, a few weeks ago, taught on it, uh, part of it a couple weeks ago. We'll touch a little bit of it again today about birthright. But one of the things that I loved about the letter that I got from Peter was at the end of that letter, Peter signed it. He said, Peter, son of Zeb. Man, I loved that. I loved the whole letter. But when I got to Peter, son of Zeb, that let me know something. This man is proud of what, come, what came before him. And it is his heart and soul to honor what came before and by reading his letter to honor what's still coming. So this man has a good grasp on the legacy that precedes and the legacy that proceeds. So our legacy is both backwards and forwards in that this one is the son of that one is the son of that one and it goes through, our, through the heritage backwards but then it also goes on and it talks about when the fathers would begin to bless their sons. You just read about that in Genesis. The fathers would bless their sons and say, this is who you are. I'm your daddy. You're my firstborn. You're my secondborn. You're my twelfthborn, whatever it might be. But this is what your promise is, and I'm going to declare for you what's to come. There's a legacy behind us, but there's also a legacy before us. Now, here's the, here's the challenge with the church world today. Most people in the kingdom of God today... Well, let me say this. There's a difference between the kingdom of God and the church world. The church world is religion. The kingdom of God is truth. And obedience. It's faith and trust. So when we dive into these things and we look at these things and we begin to consider all that the Father has for us, most of the church world today and even in the, within the kingdom of God today, what we're learning is to make sure and reconcile and put together the legacy that is both before, behind us and before us. But religion isn't interested in. The legacy behind or the legacy before. In fact, I can tell you that religion is in fact completely disinterested in whatever legacy lies before them because they're in too big of a hurry to get off the planet. They're very quick to remind everybody that they know Jesus is just hold on because Jesus is coming soon. Which is saying to the person that they said that to, I have no purpose in this earth. I'm simply waiting for Jesus to lift me up. And people have asked me, do you not believe in the rapture? I don't believe in it, and I don't believe against it. I believe if it is of God, I will be a part of it. If it isn't of God, 
then I won't. But whatever is of God, I'm going to be a part of that. Now that might confuse some folks in here this morning and in their mind you've already you've begun to shut me down because you put so much hope in the rapture of the church. But let me tell you what I put my hope in because I'm a son. I put my hope in the word of the Lord. Wherever he is, there will I be also. So if he chooses to elevate us into this place that's up in the heavens and it's above everybody where there's no weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth and so on and so forth and all the stories in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. If that is his choice and if that is the way he wants to do it, then I'm going to be a part of that the way that you think it is. If it isn't the way that you think it is and the way that it has been taught, I'm going to be a part of it of the way He intended it to be interpreted. I will never know the genuine interpretation and how to interpret that correctly outside of sonship. Religion, day in and day out, is going to remind me over and over why I need to believe this and why I need to believe that. But the word of the Lord, the kingdom of God, isn't about why I need to believe this and why I need to believe that. It is all about this. Trust me. Trust me in the middle of your circumstance. Nobody in this room can keep up with your religion or online if you're watching today. You can't keep up. When you think you've done it right, they tell you you did it wrong. They tell you that Jesus forgives you and then they come the next week and tell you re- again and again that you're still a sinner. They tell you that God wants to heal you, then when you're not healed, they blame it on your lack of faith. Is anybody hearing me in this room this morning? I'm just telling the truth. And I realize there's folks in here that this is a new kind of truth. I realize there's people watching online today, this is a different truth. You didn't come expecting this truth today. But I'm going to tell you what this truth does. It produces life. It produces life to he who will hear, to she who will hear, to them, whoever they are that will receive it. It will produce life because it will renew your mind. It will realign your thoughts. Some of you are still stuck on some of the things I said a few moments ago. You're very bothered. Some of you, I can feel it. I can feel it. There's this aura in here. I can feel some of you are still stuck on this whole rapture thing. That right there is the exact proof you need that your hopes are in religion, not on the purpose of God for you. I'm not telling you there's not a rapture. Neither am I telling you there is one. What I'm telling you is religion gets fixated on these things. That's one example. Gets so fixated on this, we lose sight of the purpose we have in this right now moment. And when we lose sight of the purpose God has for us in this right moment, because we're gazing up into the heavens, waiting for the sweet, sweet by and by, we're missing the sweet, sweet right now. And all that God can do with it. For some of us in this room, let me just go on and say it since I'm on this soapbox. Some watching online today, for some of us, the reason your co-workers aren't coming to Christ, the reason your neighbors aren't coming to Christ, is because you keep telling them that they need to get saved because Jesus is coming soon. What you need to be doing for them is showing them a different way of living. 
You need to be showing them how you honor God, the way you treat your husband, the way you treat your wife. You show up to your job on time. You love on your children. You're always there for them. You're helping one another. You're serving in the community. You're serving in the house of God. You need to show them that. And I want to tell you something, that will bring them to Christ. Not reminding them over and over, Jesus is coming soon, and I'm afraid you're going to go out in the road and get hit by a truck and miss it. Is anybody hearing me today? I'm, not, I'm opposed to religion. You've got to know I'm opposed to religion. I hate it. I hate it because God hates it. I don't hate a lot of things, but I hate religion, among a few other things. But I hate religion. And I hate how religion robs from men and women every day. I hate how religion is robbed from some of you sitting under the sound of my voice right now. I hate how it's robbing you right now. Some of you watching online, you were watching online, maybe you're not now, but some of you sitting in here right now. It bothers you that I'm attacking the very thing that you've wrapped your whole life around. In truth, you didn't wrap your life around it. It wrapped its life around you. It's like a spider web that you get stuck in you can't get out of. Are you hearing me today? This is the rise of sons. Are you ready? This is why this is so important. Because until we know who we are, we will never become what we were sent to be. Can I say that one more time? I'm going to try. Until we know who we are, we will never become who we were sent to be. Never. Never. So the birthright is a contract for continued blessing. We're going to talk about this a little bit, and then we're going to jump into the Hebrew letter, Tav. But the birthright is a contract for continued blessing. If received, the legacy of that birthright is passed down through each successive generation. And there's plenty to pass on if it's received correctly. The nature of a birthright is there's so much there. It provides for generation after generation after generation. It's never given to be wasted. It's given to be invested. A birthright is not left to us to be squandered. It is left to us to be used as seed. Are you hearing me in here this morning? Let's read Genesis chapter 25. Genesis 25, beginning with verse 29, reads like this. Does everybody love me? Everybody say, I love you. I love you more. I got to tell you, there was a man at the church last week. We were in Michigan, and he said, Steve Parker, I love the hell out of you. And I thought, thank you for saying it that way. And I'm just throwing that back at you. Genesis 25, 29 through 33. There's a lot of thuthas in there. Once, when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, Let me eat some of that red stew, for I'm exhausted. Therefore his name was called Edom. And Jacob said, Sell me your birthright now. And Esau said, I am about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? And then Jacob said, okay, so swear to me now. So he swore to him, and he sold his birthright to Jacob for a bowl of stew. What Esau did not understand is that the birthright was generational. What we were talking about before. This one begot this one, this one begot this one. He is the son of this one, the son of this one, the son of this one. Go ye therefore and do this both preceding and proceeding. That sonship flows behind the birthright. The inheritance is both before and after. 
So what he did not understand was that the birthright, Esau did not understand, is that the birthright is generational, and he only lived, Esau lived for the current moment. In fact, I'm going to point your attention back to this right here. Back to verse, I don't know what verse it is, but in chapter 25 that we just read, Esau said this, he said, okay, Jacob, I'll sell it to you, because I am about to die, therefore, of what use is this birthright to me? There's our introduction into religion. Stay with me. Esau said, I am about to die. Of what use? What good will this birthright do me? You know why he said that? Again, he did not understand that a birthright is not held is not intended for a singular generation but the birthright provides for each one following this one do you know when my wife and I created our will I'll give you an example when we created our will did our last will and testament and all the directives and all the things that we did a few years ago for our kids and and what have you and we're preparing that, and we're sitting with the attorney, and we're going through all the things. And we began to write that will out, as some of you have, any of you that are, you know, certainly, hopefully, my age range. And as we were preparing the will, we had the house, you know, we have some investments, we have our 401k, different things like that, and we're preparing this will, and we're going through all of this, and, and we're lining it out with this attorney, and as we go through it, one of the things that we wanted to make sure of was his name, our attorney's name is Harry. I won't tell you his last name, but his first name's Harry. And I, and I said, Harry, we just want to make sure that whatever we leave behind when Kim and I are no longer here, when we've completed our purpose and we're gone, we want to make sure that there is not, this thing is not impacted or not a blessing to only one generation. We want to make sure that this thing goes from one generation to the next generation to the next generation. So we put kavits within that will so that there's a portion that goes to our children. Then there's a portion that will go to our grandchildren. And then there's more that will go to each. And I don't remember how they worded it in all their legalese. But to each successive generation, whatever my wife and I leave behind, no matter how great or how small, Every generation that comes after us will taste of the fruit that came into our lives. And now, if our seed is wise, if our seed, if our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren and so on and so forth are wise, they will not do in a moment in one generation with that birthright They won't spend it as though it all belongs to them. They will not use it up as though this is ours. They will use that to begin to sow seed. They will allow it to be something that they can put seed in the ground with, whatever that is. Create their own will that spills that over into the next generation, into the next generation. We've taught that that to our children all their lives. All we can hope for is that they've received this. But this is part of that generational blessing. And what Esau did not understand was that very principle. For Esau, it was in my absence, what good is this birthright going to do? Well, Esau... 
Do you not have vision for the future? Do you not believe that life is bigger than your hunger pain today? I'm talking to people in this room right now. Do you not believe for a second that what's ahead of you is bigger and better and has more potential than whatever challenge you might going through, be going through right now? However difficult, however hard it might be right now, I want to tell you the birthright. The birthright is not single generation. It is multi-generational. It is to be passed on and passed on. It's not a promise just to you. It's a promise to you and everything that will come from you. Esau disregarded that. Sold him his birthright. So we're going to do a jump right here. We're going to bring this Hebrew letter. Let me just say this before I get in here. Let me get a drink of water real quick. Thank you. You want... The, um, so, I've never been a numbers guy. I've never been into numerology, never been into any of that, never been into the... Not that I haven't been into it. It just never found its place in me, I guess is the easier way to say that. So, when people will say things like, oh, that's the number eight, oh, that's the number six, oh, that's the number five, and they're like, oh, and that means this and that means that, and I'm always like, oh, that's really cool. And then I go about my business. It's not that I disregard it. It's simply that it just, if it didn't do for me what it did for them at the moment, I don't get caught up in it. It doesn't hold me back. It doesn't propel me forward. I just don't get caught up in it. I just say, okay, that's wonderful. That's great for you. I'm so excited that five means that to you. For me, it's, it's different right now, but I'm glad that means that for you. And then... When you get into, I love, I've always loved the Hebrew and the Greek. I've always loved the words, the way that the word use, the, how, it's, how it breaks things up and gives more clarity to things. I've always loved that. Any of you that have been with us for any length of time, you know, every now and then or maybe frequently, I'll bring in the Hebrew interpretation of this word or phrase or Greek or whatever it is. I'll bring that in because I love that. I think that's... Uh, uh, interesting to me. And I realize that sometimes when I do that for some other folks, it might not be so interesting. It might be just, you know, well, that was good, kind of how I felt about other things as well. But then there comes a time when Holy Spirit will throw something at us and He will bring something up and it will just illuminate and it will stand out. And, and I want to talk about the Hebrew letter Tav. It's the last letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And I want to talk about that today in light of the birthright. In part, Peter wrote some things in his letter that uh, caused me to see some things in there. And then on top of that, I read this morning an email that was sent to me last week from Shonda Carney. And she sent me this email and she began to talk about Tav and shared what, um, what that was to her and how, it, how she saw that. And when she did, it added another dimension of life to that to me. And I cannot get past it today. And I, and I saw just this morning how this completely ties in with what Holy Spirit's wanting to teach us today. Do you want to learn about it? Yes. You want to learn about it? Yes. How many know what Tav is? Well, you know now because I told you it's the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. <laughs> but, but outside of that, how many knew what Tav was? How many ever really cared? Six. So the rest of us are like, my hand was not up. But it is now. It is now, because when you see what it is, it, it just matters. Because I think to myself, I don't speak Hebrew, I don't speak Greek. And I certainly don't write with those letters. I couldn't even begin to write those letters. 
But when Holy Spirit has something He wants to make known, I love that He will go back to the original. There's times that He will say, the only way I can make this clear is to go back to my original. So forget what you know, and let me show you what I want you to know. Are you ready this morning? So we're going to talk about it for just a moment. Before we do, I want to read this letter, this email that I received from Shonda Carney. Let me read this to you and uh, just bear with me. It says, and keep in mind she's a nurse, so she's coming from the perspective of, of a nurse and a daughter of God. When approaching death, a finishing, we establish goals. How do you want this to finish? Some decide to fight longer than others. Fighting can be a good thing and fighting can be a bad thing. In the right time, choosing to pursue the fight can bring life. Choosing to fight in the wrong time delays the finish unnecessarily and creates agony and distress. For those who acknowledge the finish, its timing, and face it with correct perspective, they find clarity in the how and where. Those who have a clear vision and a knowing of how they want their finish to be, these are the ones who experience the most peaceful and beautiful finish. When establishing your goals, there is a process of assessing each area of where you are and where you want to get. All things are assessed. Medications, location, medical equipment, care supplies, who will be with you. The person finishing makes these choices. Some have specific things that they want to do, say, and do, say, and accomplish before they come to a place they are ready to finish. In the natural, I help facilitate each of these steps. For us in the Spirit, Holy Spirit is our facilitator. When the goals are being set, oftentimes it requires the removal of certain things, medications, equipment, treatments, interventions. At one time, the removed items were helpful and brought life or aid. However, in the time of finishing, in this place, they are no longer necessary. In fact, they become obstacles to your finish. What once was help has now become a hindrance. Discernment is necessary here. We then begin to add things, different medications, equipment, interventions, etc., that assist in managing the natural progression of finishing or death. Some people have a fear of these things. Some people fear finishing, death itself. Some people fear the medication and things and how they make them feel, emotions. Some people fear the equipment that will assist them. At this point, they must use trust. They must trust me and the care team to guide them through this process. Trust, Holy Spirit, as you finish. That's a big ask. Trust me as I lead you to your finish. Trust me to lead you through a place you, have, you haven't been. But I've seen this journey many times before. I know the way. I know the peaceful pathways. If they allow fear to remain, it will rob them of their peaceful finish. Rather, they must identify and see those things as tools. Tools available and given to them to accomplish their finish. Finishing can weigh heavy on you. Sometimes a key is recognizing or shifting your perspective to see what the finishing will free you from or why it frees you. The correct perspective helps to lift the weight, remove fear, and bring freedom. And she closes it with, by saying this, Tav, I honor you. The finishing is a holy thing. 
I'm going to refer to a situation, and I may not get all the details right because it's been quite some time now, but I'm going to refer to a situation, and I did not ask permission, um, but I would like to, Curleen, I'm asking you publicly, and you, there's no pressure whatsoever, can I share the finishing of your mother? How, when was that? What year? A long time, like 20 years ago? So I, I only knew Curleen is from England, and her mother was here, and her, her whole family's from London, the London area. And Curleen has been a part of the Rock of Central Florida for a very long time, a couple decades. And so I met this one evening, um, or one, after, one Sunday, I met her mama, and her mama was, I mean, God-fearing in every sense of the word, just a precious, precious, precious lady. I did not know her well. I'd only met her, I think, once, maybe twice, but enough to know this woman loves God. Now, I'm going to tell you the story of this woman. What was your mama's name? Gazilda? Casilda. Did I say that right? Casilda. So, Casilda was here from London, from England, and she was visiting the family. And there was an evening that Casilda had asked Curleen and all the sisters and brothers and children and grandchildren, everybody together at their house. And I think that Curleen was at your house, right? at Curleen's house, and they asked to meet over here in Sanford at Curleen's house, and so they were all at Curleen's house, and they were gathered around a table. So as they're gathered around this table, and they're having dinner one night, Casilda was speaking to each child, each grandchild, everybody that was present, the whole table, and she was simply sharing with them their, her dreams, her hopes, encouraging them, blessing them, speaking to them of the goodness of God in her life, talking about how amazing it was and, and what God wants to do for them. And then she goes around the table. She says, y'all just keep chatting and keep talking. And I'm going to kiss each one of you and tell you I love you. And she goes around the table, or they came to her. I, I don't remember the exact details of the story, but the gist is she kissed every single one of her children and her grandchildren. She got up from the table. She went in her bedroom and left it be. Now, as far as all the children knew, Casilda went in the bedroom to go to sleep because she often went to bed early. That was not unusual. What was different was the presence at that table and that dinner that night with all the family that was gathered. What was different was there was a sense of mom is saying goodbye. There's no reason to believe that her time is close. But there's a sense that mom is saying goodbye. So that later that evening, when she did not come back out, Curlene and the sist, one of the sisters went into her bedroom, and the mom was sitting in her rocking chair with her suitcase packed, and she'd gone on to be with the father, fully prepared to meet him. Sitting in that chair with a blanket over her, just sitting there, everything's ready to go. She had prepared the family. She was prepared and she finished. Curleen called me and she said, can you come? I went. I witnessed that. I saw that. I saw, listened to the stories. Most, one of the most powerful finishes, probably the most powerful finish I've ever known. I've ever witnessed. That's finishing. That's tough. That's saying, Father, not only... Do I have an inheritance that is present in this earth today? But I have a, an inheritance that is beyond today. 
And I want to make sure that before I finish, I look around this table and I say to my family, what belongs to me belongs to you. But you don't get to just receive it. I'm not just giving you something. You need to be prepared for it. Because a mama that begin to, when those kids were little, begin to speak into those children's lives and begin to tell them why it's important to know the Lord, why it's important to recognize that He is God and there's not another. She understood what birthright was. She understood that whatever I possess today, my children will possess later. And I need to make sure that when they possess it, they don't waste it. They don't use it up. They don't squander it. But they recognize the value of what's being given to them, whether by word or whether it's something that's tangible they can hold in their hand. So when I think of Casilda and what she did, and I think of finishing correctly, and I consider Esau and the birthright. Esau didn't understand. He could have cared less because what was coming was not important. He was not prepared for it. He wasn't a son, so he wasn't prepared. If he was really a son to his father, even his natural father, he would have understood the value of that birthright because he saw all that his daddy had, but he did not see it as valuable. Is anybody hearing me in here? So the Tav, the finish, what's interesting in here that Shonda sent to me, what jumped out at me is how the Tav both represents both death and living. It has two sides to it. It has the side that says, this is what I've had, this is where I've been, I've finished well, and it has the side, and this is what I'm entering into. woo it isn't moving into the next by saying, Oh, Lord, what am I going to do? Oh, no, I have not. It's moving into the next with my eyes wide open, my arms wide open saying, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready. Is anybody ready in this room this morning? For those who don't accept their purpose, death is the end. If I don't believe that this birthright has any value, then when I leave, leave, breathe my last breath, that's the end of it all. Why not waste it all right now? How much money can I get for this birthright? What's the value of this thing? Interestingly enough, a birthright has no value until the next generation. The only value it has in the present generation is the one to whom it belongs that has the ability to determine whether it will be something passed on. Jesus said in Revelation chapter 2, verse 8, if you're following along in the notes, you can see this there. Jesus said in Revelation chapter 2, verse 8, and I'm going to use him as an example, He said, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, The words of the first and the last who died and came to life. Let me read that again and then I'm going to explain. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, this, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. Aleph is the first letter in the Hebrew alphabet. Tav is the last. I want to read this scripture again in Revelation chapter 2.8 with these words in mind because that's what first and last mean in the Hebrew and Greek. Let me read this to you. Aleph means first and Lord. It's the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It means both first and Lord of the entire... 
Aleph is the father of the entire Hebrew alphabet. It is Lord. It is first and it is Lord. Tav, as we've already distinguished, is the last. It is the finish. So now, let me read this scripture again with those words in mind. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, The words of Aleph, Lord, and the Tav, finisher, who died and came to life. The words of Jesus Christ. He is the Lord and He is the Tav. He is the finisher. He is Lord and He is finisher. He is Lord and He is finisher. But here's the crazy thing. When Tav came, when the finish came to Christ, it wasn't the end, was it? In fact, there's so much more to Christ. In fact, let me say this. There's so much more to the finish in Christ because you are the new beginning in Him. Tav created a way for you and I to come to the Father. That ought to excite somebody this morning. So we can choose to die because we look at it, this is an end. This is it. Man, I've done all I know to do, AJ. I've served the Lord the best I can. I've done everything I know to can. I, I, I know to do. I don't feel like my prayers are being answered. I don't feel like He hears me anymore. I don't even know. I, it's just, you know, I pray for everything. I tithe. I lift my hands in worship. I even cry sometimes. I get down on my knees. I tell people about Jesus. I throw Bibles at people. I do all these things and I don't see God moving on my behalf. What in the world is going on? And the Father said, because you got the wrong idea finish." You got the wrong idea of finishing. You can't finish right if you don't first live right. <laughs> you got to know who you are. You're not vagabonds and you're not orphans and you're not outcasts and you're not in bondage. You've been set free in Him. If you've received Jesus Christ, you've been set free in the Father and you're not just some adopted child that the Father's saying, that's my real one, that's my adopted one. That's my real one, that's my adopted one. It's like this. That's my real one, that's my next real one, that's my next real one, that's my next real one. You're the real one! you got to believe that about yourself. you got to believe that about yourself. Ezekiel 9, chapter 9, beginning with verse 4. It reads like this, Yahweh's about to destroy the temple. And the Lord said to the angel, I'm inserting angel because he's speaking to an angel, even though Ezekiel's doing the prophesying. And the Lord said to him, the angel said, Pass through the city and through Jerusalem and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over all the abominations that are committed in it. You need to understand what I just said. There is a mark that is a sign to those who sigh and groan over God's creation. Thank you, Tamara, for getting that. There is a mark. Everybody in their mind right now, you're thinking, yeah, the mark of the beast, man. Oh, no, no, no. 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 Are you ready? There's a mark. Assigned to every man and woman, everyone who is a son or a daughter, there's a mark assigned to you to put your hope in Him, your trust in Him, and you sigh and you groan over the condition of His creation. In other words, there's something in you that says, this cannot be. I will not allow this to remain like this. I'm going to be a part, not of the problem. I'm going to be a part of the solution and the purpose that you sent me here to be. There is a mark assigned to those 
who take that position, who say, yes, I might like this, but I'm not going to be a part of it because he doesn't like it. Yeah, I might want to go there, but I'm not going there because he wouldn't go there. The Lord said to the angel, He said, Pass through this city, through Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men and women who sigh and groan over all the abominations that are committed in it. And to the others, He said in the hearing, in my hearing, He says this, To everyone else, they don't really care. They're just scooting on by. They're just enjoying the moment. They have no idea what the future is. They have no hope for tomorrow. They don't care. They don't care the condition of my creation. They're not interested in what my temple looks like. They're not interested in what, everybody put your hands on yourself. They're not interested in what my temple looks like. They're not interested in my temple. Mm -hmm. Listen, he says, and to all the others, pass through the city after, after that angel that put a mark on the righteous and strike. Your eye shall not spare and you will not show any pity. Kill old men outright. Young men and maidens, little children and women, but touch no one on whom is the mark and begin at my sanctuary. And begin at my... I'll say it. And begin at my... So they began with the elders who were before the house. Do you know what the mark was? The tithe. He said, I'm finishing. There is a people who see that the finish is not the end. There are sons and daughters who see that the finish is not the end. They think they've come to the end of themselves. That's perfect because that's when they become to the beginning of me. He said... Pass through and put the tav on the foreheads. The put tav, write it. On the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over all the abominations that are committed in it. Begin in my sanctuary. He said, protect those whose eyes are fixed on God. Protect those whose eyes are fixed on Yahweh. Is, do you know why? The rise of sons to me is important. Do you know why all of this is important to me? It's important to me because under the sound of my voice in this room right now, people I know, people I don't know, some of you I don't know, and I'm thankful you're here today. But I hope in your presence, I hope in your, by your being here today, you're not thinking, man, I didn't know what in the world I was getting myself into. I hope instead you're saying, man, I'm, I've never had a better day. Thank you, Father, for bringing me to a place because today I just found out. I don't have to be an outcast. And I don't have to be an orphan. And I don't have to be in bondage to religion. But I can be a son of God. I can be a son. And today isn't the end. In the moments that I go through and I don't conquer, I don't feel like I've overcome, they aren't the end of me, but they're the beginning of you. And I hope that in your presence and your sitting and your being here today and, and you as a witness to the words that Holy Spirit has put in me to release to you today, I hope that what you're hearing is this. If I'm in bondage, I don't care about the ground I walk on, about the home I live in, about the city I'm a part of, the state where I am. If I'm in bondage, those things don't matter. But if I'm a son, man, I care about my daddy's house. 
I care about His land. And I care about His cattle. And I care about whatever belongs to Him. If He created it, He created it not because He wanted another thing, but because He was looking for a way to sow more and more into His sons and into His daughters. He's producing for me and I'm choosing today to not simply be a churchgoer. Don't raise your hand, but I'm asking, how many are churchgoers in here this morning? I'm doing my Sunday thing. This is my Sunday thing. This is my Sunday thing. This is what we do on Sunday. What do you do on Sunday? We go to church. Why do you go to church? Because it's Sunday. Man, when, we, when our answer changed, what else would I do? Any opportunity I have to sit with a congregation of believers who know who they are in Him, who I'm working with every day, believing with, using my faith with, every day to increase the kingdom of God and to sigh and to groan over everything that violates Him, to sigh and to groan and to say, why are we allowing this to happen? I'm telling you today, I'm a finisher. And I'm going to finish. And I'm going to close out what doesn't belong to Him and I'm going to engage what does. The man that last week said, I won't call him out by name, but the man that said last week, he said, and it really was, it profoundly impacted me. Not because he said he loves the hell out of me. But what profoundly impacted me was what he said prior to that. And I'm going to try to get it as close as I can. But he said the whole God stuff, loving God and all that, that did not happen in my life until I visited the rock. They don't live here. They live in Michigan, but they visited here a few, some years ago. They're watching right now, I'm sure. And he said, as I begin to hear you preach, I begin to see how you reacted to the things of God, and I'm paraphrasing, but I begin to see how you reacted to the things of God and how you respond. And he said, I know this. He said, I am absolutely certain Steve Parker loves God. He said, I've come to know without question Steve Parker loves God. And he said, now I also know this, that I'm learning to love God. More and more, every time I listen to you, I'm learning more and more to love God. He said, but I do know this. You love God, and it's unquestionable, and I love the hell out of you. <laughs> to me, that's a moment. Because my heart and soul is this. I don't want to look out over a congregation of people and feel like there's a need, or believe even that there's a need, to remind people weekly who they are. But instead, my heart is this, my heart is to come... And to look out into the face of people, knowing that people are going to come that don't know who they are, but to also look into the face, and I do, look into the face of people who absolutely know who they are. Who are offended by what the counterfeit in religion has done to the kingdom of God. Who are offended by what the church world continues to do to water down the power and the glory of God. 
Water it down with their stories, their jokes. Just the other day, my wife and I were watching another Hallmark movie, and in that there was this story of a couple that were doing adoption or whatever it was they were doing. They were getting ready for adoption, and they showed this little quote-unquote Christian couple in this, in this show that were getting ready to do some adoption. And you know, they don't present them as strong. They don't present Christians or believers who know who they are. They don't, they're never represented in the, in, on TV or, or in the world today. They're never represented as people who are strong and confident and know who they are. They're always mamby-pamby. They're always uncertain. They always lack a little bit of faith. They're always struggling with everything. They never show them as the blessed ones. They never show them as the ones who overcome. They show them jumping around and doing whatever and praising Him and some of that and all of that is really probably good. But what they need to show is sons of God who have decided I'm no longer going to be counted among those who do not know who they are. But I'm a son and I'm rising up as a son. I'm choosing today to take my place and to allow the Father to do in me what He wants to do. And I'm finishing who I was so that I can become who I'm supposed to be. I'm going to allow Him to do His complete work in Steve Parker. My heart and soul is to see sons and daughters rise up and not be where He isn't. Not say what He isn't. Sons and daughters to rise up and as we sang this morning, love what He loves and hate what He hates. Even if in everything in us is, oh, I just want it just a little bit, just a little bit. If He hates it, I hate it. If He loves it, I love it. He's my daddy. And I'm rising up. As a son and I'm choosing, today I'm going to stand. I'm going to stand and I'm going to take my place and I'm going to say, Father, if in any way I've been anything but a son, I repent today. Forgive me. Help my eyes to see, Jacob. Help my ears to hear. Help my heart to receive everything that you want to release to me. And whatever birthright that you have held in your hand for me, I choose today not to be a single generation receiver. But I declare today, I recognize the legacy that was before me. And I recognize the promise that is ahead of me. And I'm receiving today and declaring today, I trust you. I trust you. So what is my heart and hope in all of this? And we continue. We're going to continue. I'm going to talk about the sons of... uh, When sons arise. I'm going to talk about it again next week. Or the rise of sons. But I'll tell you what my heart is. I want every person to be awakened. I want you to be awakened if you've been a part of this church for a long time, and I want you to be awakened if today's your very first time. You may say, man, that guy is loud. He screams at us. He whatever. None of that is meant to scream or be loud. All of that is meant to help you see what maybe somehow has been overlooked or what maybe somehow some other preacher has withheld from you, whether knowingly or unknowingly. I don't know. It's irrelevant. What's relevant is today you know. Today you know. He didn't send you into the earth just to be a good Christian. He sent you into the earth to be a son and a daughter. He breathed his breath into you to know who you are. And to rise up and say, when you look at me, you can know this for sure. I sigh and I groan over anything that is counterfeit to your purpose. Stand with me if you would please.